0: Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Hello, hello. Welcome to Free Coaching Thursday. Today we are going to talk about imposter syndrome, about whether or not you should test out your offers for free. We're going to talk about Etsy and how to drive traffic uh, that isn't Facebook and Instagram. We'll probably talk a little bit about Facebook and Instagram. Mindset and uh, and more. I'm Sarah M. Chaplin, the founder of the Holistic Business Academy, and every week. We do free coaching Thursday, I should say almost every week, we do free coaching Thursday here on Instagram. How it works is on Wednesday, we post a question box in my stories. It's like, hey, what do you need help with? Thursday, usually around 1 p.m. Eastern time, give or take, I come live and answer your questions. You can always join us live if you want. You can catch the replay on Instagram, or you might be listening to this right now over on our podcast feed, So You Want to Be a Witch, where we release this audio on Tuesdays, so you can always refer to it there as well. Before we dive into our questions today, real quick, we will not be having Free Coaching Thursday next week. I'm going to be on the road and we'll uh, need some time off. So we're not going to do that. We'll be back the following week. Thank you for your patience. So just save up those questions for us. We will have our regular podcast episode next week, though, so you'll have plenty to listen to um, and to dive in. So let's take a look at our questions today. So our first question is, IGFB Instagram Facebook drains me with constant posting interaction alternative paths for traffic to my Etsy cool so my first thing back to you is who says you have to do constant posting and interaction you're making a massive assumption there about the about the way to use these platforms and that is definitely a recipe for being drained that sounds fucking terrible. Um, so often when we have kind of blocks or challenges that we're experiencing around a platform, sometimes it definitely is platform misalignment. I talk about that a lot, really knowing yourself, knowing your energy levels, knowing how you work best and making sure that to the best of your ability, your marketing platforms are aligned with who you are, your skills, your gifts. Chances are we are all in business going to have to do some things sometimes that aren't our favorite, but we can work to minimize that and maximize yeah, set alignment between like what you're good at and what you enjoy and your boundaries and what you're doing. But I just gotta be upfront, like you, there's no need for constant posting or interaction on either of those platforms. So if that's how you're approaching it, that's gonna be the initial step to take a look at is what is causing you to assume that that's the way to work the platform. Because if that's your assumption, then of course you're gonna be drained and burned out because you're going to be stuck on your phone all day and probably not seeing any results because you're just doing stuff because you think you need to do stuff. Our Holistic Business Academy members, if you were able to join us live yesterday, Alexis Bushnell did an amazing bonus training all about Instagram. And one of my favorite things about Alexis, her, whole, her, her brand is called Social Media for Humans, which I think is brilliant. What I love about Alexis is that she's extremely practical about these platforms. They're very powerful, um, but just because they're powerful doesn't mean that we have to feed them all the time. So, if you are an HBA member, anybody listening, and you didn't check out Alexis's bonus training uh, when we did it live, it should be in your members' portal today at the day of this time of this recording. It's all about Instagram strategy. Um, Alexis breaks down like the truth about the, about the algorithm, the truth about being like whether you need to be consistent or not and what that looks like, um, the kinds of stuff to post, how to measure your success. It's really important so if you're an hba member please go check that out because that's going to be able to go deeper than i can today right now but i think that's like the first step it's a constant is not necessary and that is unhealthy and of course you're drained so i think starting from the place of chances are your customers i believe you're a tarot reader based on what i saw um chances are your customers are on instagram and facebook so saying you don't want to do that you certainly can but you are going to be missing out on missing on activating and reaching those customers totally your choice. But I think we just want to be clear, like your customers are probably in this place. If your customers are in this place and you want to figure out how to use it, you're here. You asked me a question on Instagram, so you are using it. Then it needs to start from this place of what is consistency for you? And step one is it's not constant. It's definitely not constant. And figuring out how you can interact with this platform in a way that is supportive for you. And I think that the first kind of step there usually is starting from a boundaries place and reverse engineering from there. For example, unless we're in a launch, so kind of in like that two to three week period where I'm doing a lot of promo, I usually only have Instagram on my phone on Wednesdays and Thursdays to do what I'm doing right now. I have to download it to go live. Can't go live from my desktop yet on Instagram. Ah. Someday, but if I'm doing other posting, I'm doing commenting, I'm responding to DMs, I do that all from desktop app on Facebook. I use the Creator Studio and Facebook, um, or I go through uh, my Facebook business page to respond to things, or I'll use the Instagram desktop, right? That's a huge boundary shift for me because I don't really scroll on my my laptop. Like that's it's not it doesn't cause the same kind of feeling for me. Um so things like that, how can you work with the platform in a way that's effective? I also find that a lot of times when people are drained by these platforms, I will get to this like alternative traffic for Etsy things. I just wanted to like address this one head on. When people are drained by these platforms is because it's not working, right? We are often very willing to do things that are effective when they're ineffective. That's when it starts to feel draining often. Um, and that depends. There are certain business issues, especially as you grow, where effective things are also draining. That's why we talk about scalability. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but... My guess is, is if it were working, you would feel better about it too. So this is a piece where it's gonna be really important for you to really test and figure out what moves the needle in your social media interactions to get people to be customers. And keep in mind that that is the key metric here. I don't care how many followers you have, I don't care how many likes you have, engagement only means so much if your goal is to get people to buy stuff on your Etsy. That's the goal. That is the metric of success, nothing else. And if you can keep an eye on that metric, that's going to make it easier for you to focus on the things that are going to move the needle rather than getting wrapped up into the like social media land. something I share a lot is that our top kind of sales posts, the things where we actually like get the most registrations, revenue money are usually our least popular posts because people aren't liking the post. I don't need them to like the post. I need them to go to the link in my bio and buy something. Right? So I mean, yeah, just boundaries, personal assessment of, of, yeah, of like what what you need, what consistency could look like for you, um, which does not mean constant. And then are you measuring the right things? Like, are you focusing on the right stuff in your business and in like your social media usage and figuring out what actually moves the needle? So that's my long kind of spiel on that. And again, those of you that are HBA members, please go watch the bonus Alexis just did for us. It's in your bonus portal today. It's so brilliant because it's going to really help to break this down and reframe this, especially as you go through the holistic business framework and learn more about the key marketing communications and the kinds of content conversation um, communications that actually help people to make buying decisions. These two pieces go hand in hand. So alternative paths to traffic for Etsy. So here's my take on Etsy, right? Etsy in my dream life actually is your traffic because Etsy is a search engine. So Etsy, what you're paying them for, because you pay a premium price when somebody buys from you there, they charge a huge fucking fee, which is those of you who know me know I hate percentage fees. And Etsy, unless something has changed, is notorious for their high fees. We did a whole conversation about Etsy a few weeks ago, so you may want to go take a look at that as well. Um, I can't remember exactly when, but if you scroll back through my feed or through my IGTV, I'm sure you'll see me talking about Etsy. Um So, but the reason that it can be worth it to be on Etsy is because it's a giant search engine where people go to find your stuff. So in my dream life, you are not actually driving traffic to your Etsy. Etsy is driving traffic to your Etsy. That means that you're focusing on search engine optimization, potentially using Etsy ads, um, making sure that you're like, you're really kind of focused on kind of crafting your offer. I do talk very fast. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm from New York City. (laughs) Uh, We'll have this on the podcast. And if you have a podcast player, you can probably slow it down. And I'm actually I'm not sorry. I mean, I'm sorry that this is uncomfortable for you. I'm not going to apologize for how I talk, though. (laughs) Uh, I am I am what I am. Um, But you can slow it down on the podcast. It'll be up next Tuesday. Where was I? Okay, so Etsy should actually be driving traffic to your Etsy. That's what you're paying them for. That's the premium price of having an Etsy store. So that means that having your products actually be aligned for search engine optimization is critical. Here's what I'm going to say, though. I really don't think Etsy works well for tarot readers. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I don't think that's a place where people are looking for tarot readings. I think that it works extremely well for physical products. That's what people go to Etsy for. And especially with tarot readings or other healing services, there's this like Race to the bottom and pricing there, which really makes me concerned. Um, so take that, take from that as you will. But essentially, Etsy is a search engine; they should be driving the traffic. The Etsy SEO should be driving the traffic to your Etsy. Now, if you want to drive traffic to your Etsy, I mean, my recommendation would be to have your own online store that you actually own. So whether that's like Squarespace Commerce, whether that is. Um, what's the other word, Uh, whether it's on Shopify, WooCommerce, doesn't really matter, something like that. But having your own store that you own where you're not paying percentage fees to Etsy, that's usually pretty wise. Um, Like I think of Etsy as like a marketing expense. And ideally, you want to get people off of that platform and into one that you actually own. So you're not paying Etsy those fees all the time. But regardless, you know, in addition to social media, because that's basically what you're saying is like, I don't like this. The biggest ways to drive traffic are going to be referral search engine optimization um, for your Etsy in particular, but using a blog strategy, maybe using a podcast strategy. Um, referrals, and then probably doing stuff like in-person events where you're driving people back to purchase from you and become customers. But really the Etsy pipeline is all about search engine optimization, getting found on Google through Etsy because Etsy connects really well with Google shop at this point. Um, I anyway, think I shared that a few weeks ago, I was looking for something I was Googling and like all these Etsy Less list listings came up for this like weird thing I was looking for. And I was like, all right, that's exactly how this works. So that's ultimately, I think, the key piece. And if you want a non-social media strategy that is online based, it is going to be primarily search engine based. That is the other way that people will find you online um, beyond like referrals. But then we're starting to talk about content marketing and yeah, search engines and stuff like that. So I hope that's helpful, but I'd say like our baseline here is that constant posting. Yes, that's draining. You shouldn't be doing it. Don't do constant anything. (laughs) Um, This is a really great opportunity to make an assessment about what you're doing and why you're or what you're not doing, but why you're assuming it needs to be that way and getting really focused on the key metrics that are going to indicate whether or not you are driving success to your business. But yeah, if you're going to be paying Etsy, they need to be giving you customers. That's that's the whole point there. Gather Garden Craft says, I like your speed because you get more info to us in the shortest time. <laughs> I try to talk slower in some situations, but when I'm live, it just doesn't happen. This is why we do a lot of pre recorded trainings and we have them in a platform where you can slow them down if you need to. Because I do know I talk fast. That's not like I could be somebody who really worries about that, or I could do my job and I'm going to do my job instead of worrying about talking fast. Um, That's why in our programs, too, we have captions and you can slow down the speed and all of that. But this is this is what we get for today. All right. So we have two really fantastic questions that are kind of linked, um, starting here with imposter syndrome, and then we're going to talk a little bit about testing new products and offers. And I'm excited about that. So imposter syndrome, how have you and or past clients overcome this? We talked about this a few months ago, so you might want to go back and kind of, again, scroll through the Instagram feed or look at the old, the old coaching posts, but the first thing with imposter syndrome is that this is one of those things that people have started to identify with this term as almost like a self-diagnosis, and I'm not sure how helpful the term is. I know it can be helpful to have a description of what we're experiencing, but it kind of masks the symptoms. I would like to know what behaviors and symptoms you are identifying as imposter syndrome. Um, And here, of course, in symptoms, I mean, like business, like symptoms. I don't mean like medical symptoms. I'm not a doctor or a therapist. So what are you identifying that you are naming as imposter syndrome? Because usually it's different for different people. This can look a lot of different ways. I see sometimes folks are actually afraid of being visible and seen and call that imposter syndrome. I would say that's probably not imposter syndrome, right? visibility can be related to a lot of different things. We can have very real um, traumatic experiences that have caused that. We can have a lot of anxiety that causes that. We can have some, um, I mean, for me personally, I know I have some dysmorphia issues that kind of come up when it comes to being visible. So like just things to think about. Um, so that first level is like when we start to label something, It's just like to give ourselves that space to peel back a little bit and say, okay, what is actually underneath this label that I'm using? Because that probably is gonna give us a better indicator of how to work with it, rather than saying, oh, I have imposter syndrome. I think there's a really good critique It's a very like kind of Twitter critique, Um, but it depends on the situation Um, that imposter syndrome is really a symptom of white supremacy. Um, And I think that that can be a powerful tool to look at in the sense of is your imposter syndrome actually a credentialism issue where you think that you need to get more and more um, experience, credentials, degrees. That you've been told that you're not good enough and you're never going to be good enough is that something that you've you're carrying that's really common i think that really common uh with women with queer folk with folk of color this like Yeah, that like you're not the not good enough thing. That's also different than necessarily imposter syndrome. That is this credentialism culture where you yeah, that's a whole other kind of thing. So I would just take a look at that and kind of peel it back a little bit and be like, okay, what is actually happening here? And if you're not sure, the behaviors can often be the key. I think that, you know, we often need to get back into the core of like, what are we thinking? What is driving our decision making? But we can't always figure that out until we look at the result. So if the result is, oh, I don't put my offer out, cool. What was the thought that kept you from putting your offer out? Was it, oh, if I put this out here, I think maybe somebody asked this last week, um, people will think I'm dumb, think my offers are dumb, right? Okay, that's that's interesting. That's not the same as like, it's like imposter syndrome. So I think that's always my first step is to try to see what is the behavior and then what is the, what is motivating that behavior? Can we try to figure that out? Can we try to kind of unwind it a little bit? Um, and then from there, if we understand what's motivating the behavior, then we can start to figure out what kind of support we need. Because I'm a little hesitant, especially in this kind of context, to be like, here are three steps to overcoming imposter syndrome. But I have, to, I have some tips because I find that actually often this is deeper work that might even need a therapist or a somatic therapist or some kind of trauma informed work if it's coming up in your business. And I'm not saying that's true for you. I'm just like very cognizant of this is something I'm kind of on about right now, like the overreach of coaches and uh yeah so just like when we kind of look at them, like oh no this is tied to something because i was always told that i needed to behave this way and, and we start getting into like past stuff that might be more of a therapeutic model so ultimately step one what is the behavior step two what is driving the behavior can you can you untangle it and try not to label it and just see what kind of emerges when we actually have imposter syndrome right often there it, it's a a fear that we're not, that we don't know enough, right? That's really what we're saying. Like, oh, I don't know enough. And that comes back to this credentialism, this, um, this, yeah, that whole, that, that thing. So when that's a situation, there's a couple different ways we can work on it. First is if you have done your work before, this is a really fantastic time to uh, look at like testimonials and case studies, get feedback from people that helps you remember that you have the capability of doing this. Um, if you do have trainings, remember that you've done those trainings. <laughs> and I don't and trainings. I'm not I don't mean like you have to have certifications or something, but like, who have you learned from, you know, what have you learned in your community from your mentors, from teachers, from guides, from books, like all of these things being valid. Um, and sometimes it can be a little bit helpful to kind of like just like kind of look at the explore the expanse of, of knowledge that you have gained. Um, it's very easy to kind of compare ourselves to other people and be like, oh, that person has a certification. So I need a certification or, oh, that person studied with this person. So I need to study with that person. And I think that's all fine. I'm a lifelong learner. I'm like, yeah, let's go learn some more stuff, but it can be helpful to kind of see what in its entirety you've already explored. And then there's a third piece here, which is that often we need the, we need community. We need coaches. We need friends to help us see if we actually do have the skills In order to do the work that we're trying to do. And especially in things like coaching, healing, tarot, astrology. This one can be a little tricky. Um, It can be a little bit harder to assess whether or not we're quote unquote, ready to do the thing. But I do find that being in a community where people can give you some feedback, um, having business friends, having people, and it has to be people who understand what you're doing. It can't be like, you know, I don't know, like your mom or like your like college best friend who has a completely different kind of life than you who may love you, but doesn't, you know, or whatever. It needs to be someone who actually gets it. Because sometimes we actually don't know what we're doing (laughs) and that's okay too. I think that this like guilt that we kind of carry about not knowing everything is also not super helpful. So these are some ways that that I've worked with it in the past, some ways that I work with it with clients. Ultimately though, I think imposter syndrome and all of these things, the fear, the, the solution to the fear is it is doing it. It is actually putting yourself out there. It is trying it. We, we have a tendency to think, and this has a lot to do with credentialism and kind of higher education and the way that we teach people stuff. We tend to think that we're supposed to know how to do something perfectly before we've done it, that reading it in the book is the same as doing it. And it's not. And we know that often consciously. It's literally it's not the same. Reading about how to ride a bike is not the same as knowing how to ride a bike. Reading about how to grow a business is not the same as actually growing a business. Reading about tarot is not the same as giving tarot readings to people. So the problem is in this gap is that the actual way to become competent and um, proficient in what you do is by doing it. And I think that's the piece that gets missed, is that we have a tend to have a deep belief that we're supposed to be proficient before we take action. And that's not true. So this is going to get into the second question we're going to get into here, but this is about having a kind of an honest assessment to the best of your ability of where your skills are and making sure that that's communicated. Don't put up a, I don't know, a website saying I've been reading tarot for 50 years. If you haven't, I see people do all sorts of stuff like I've been working with the themes in the tarot for 30 years. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like that, like that, you know, this is like trying to kind of like invent numbers, you know, to make it look like you've done more than you have. Don't like be like, hi, I started reading tarot professionally and I'm really excited to read for you, right? And here's how I can help you i think the key is like don't lie like you don't need to make yourself look better than you are but you will get better than you are by doing it sorry i think of this you know it's such a bad analogy but what came to mind was like you know watching like medical shows like Grey's anatomy right and like the first season of Grey's anatomy i'm sorry y'all i um i have such a love hate with that show i think probably like a lot of people my age but the first season of Grey's anatomy they um they're like. We've been studying for years and here we are, but we're the bottom of the food chain and we don't know what to do, but we know everything, but we've never done it. It's like the entire season is just the being like, we are so overeducated and know how to do nothing. Right. And it's of course through the process of their internships that they learn to actually become doctors. They're doctors, but they don't know how to do their job until they do it. That's, I know, it's a little concerning, but I think it can be helpful to remember that that's actually normal. Most job paths have historically had apprenticeships have had these periods of getting to learn how to do the thing. And a lot of the careers and a lot of the businesses that I help people with don't have apprenticeships. It doesn't exist. Right. And like, theoretically this is like what internships serve in traditional you know jobs. But of course, really that is just not being is, is just being free labor for people. Um, so Giving yourself the space to be an apprentice and like be like, OK, being an apprentice and that being an apprentice doesn't mean you are an imposter. That can be really helpful. So I hope it gives you some stuff to chew on uh, and some ways to start to think about this imposter syndrome and take a look at it. Um, but ultimately. That is something that gets better in the doing. It truly does because right now you probably don't have the active on the ground experience to validate your actual knowledge. And it's the application of that knowledge that will build the confidence. So I just wanna be like, this is normal. This is totally normal. And it, get, and it does get better. And we often hit it at new tiers. I'm about to release a new program and I'm definitely having a little bit of like, I don't know, but I wouldn't call it imposter syndrome at this point, just a little bit like, whoa, this is big, this is different, this is new. and like. I know I know what I'm doing, but I haven't done this specific thing before. And it it causes feelings. I catch some feelings from it. It's normal, but it does get easier as you learn to apply things. So go forth. You are not an imposter. You're learning as we all are, which is great. I think the other thing, too, is like imposter syndrome suggests that like at some point, you're just like. Fixed, (laughs) it's like, no, if you have a business and you're serving people in any way, this is a lifetime learning commitment, always. We are always going to be learning more, learning how to help people more. So that too, when we kind of shift that narrative and just like, just because you are not an intern year anymore, you're a resident now, you still have to learn new stuff, right? You're still going to learn new techniques, do new research. Thanks for going there for my Grey's Anatomy analogy. So this leads right into our final question for the day. Do you recommend testing new programs with paying clients or with freebie clients? What a great question. So I like that these two are tied together because I think, I think they're related. I have a very practical answer and then I have a more of a, a Sarah Tough Love pep talk. So practical answer is, is you, if you have literally never done the thing before, then working with like a free person to, to do a practice round that sounds fine. Like how on Grey's Anatomy, they probably practiced on cadavers or they had those uh, weird little robots, right, <laughs> <laughs> to try new techniques. Doing a practice of something is not a bad idea. You're using the word program, though, which I think is a little bit different. But I think a lot of, you know, if you're creating a new system, a new program, a new thing, testing it is not bad. That is okay. But I tend to think of the freebie client as, I probably wouldn't do that more than like a one session test. I wouldn't do an entire program with people for free. There's a few reasons for that. The first one is honestly, and I say this with like the massive caveat, I've talked about this before, that of course there are folks for whom getting free access to things is really important, especially education. But once people's baseline needs are met, we tend to undervalue things we don't pay for. And that is not a, that's not a, that's the way I want the world to be. But that is a we are deeply steeped in in a culture that prioritizes monetary worth. And it's often hard for people to show up for things that they have not invested in financially or in some other major way. And for some people, time is the investment, um, definitely. But often, and this is one of the things like that, I, I wish I hadn't found to be true, but I have found it to be true that in general, making an investment helps people to show up. So what happens when a lot of people do free stuff, especially free programs for folks, is that everyone drops off. No one completes it. So you don't actually get the data and practice you need anyway. But I do think like doing a free session with like a friend or you know a colleague doing a trade. Nothing wrong with practicing, especially if you're developing like a new method of doing something. But if what you're basically doing is a program that you haven't done before, but you have the knowledge for it. Right. You know how it should work. Um, Like you're not stuck in imposter syndrome zone, you're over here and you're like, no, I have some experience. I know what I'm doing. I would not do that for free. Your time and energy are valuable, even if it's your first time doing something. You know, you don't like I don't know. You might be paid less your first day on the job, but you're still paid. Right. Um, so this is this weird thing that I'm not, I don't know you, so I'm not sure you do this, but a lot of like entrepreneurs do or like, oh, I need to be really good at this thing before I can charge for it. No, (laughs) your time and labor are still valuable. Um, they are, are, you should charge for them. So what I really like to do, again, if you're like doing a brand new kind of session and you just want to do like do a practice session, like I used to do kind of these like stone energy healing session things. And the first time I did one, I did a trade with someone because I was like, all right, I have this mapped out in my head. I know how I think it should feel, but I need to do it in order to see if that's correct. Right. It was awesome. I did a trade. Fantastic. And then I charged for them after. Um, But when you're doing a program, often what happens is that, yeah, there's it's too long of a commitment for somebody for free. I am a really big fan of what's often called beta pricing, founders pricing, that kind of stuff, which is essentially doing a first round at a discounted rate and being super fucking upfront that it is your first round of doing it. I like this because I think that it creates, it relieves a little bit of pressure on you as the facilitator. You don't have to try to be perfect. Often if people charge um, kind of full rates and you can, by the way, if you're like, I'm charged charge full rates, go for it. But your question is obviously paying versus creepy clients. If people try to charge full rates, then often they get, um, they get really anxious. There's like a performance anxiety when it's something new. And if you're asking me this kind of question, my guess is maybe this is a little bit newer to you, so you might have some of that feeling. It also lets people set expectations properly. And the reality is people love a fucking good deal. So I have found that in general, it is very easy to enroll people into a beta program, very easy to enroll people into a founders, a founding members, a first chance, like kind of program, because people also like to be on the ground floor of stuff. They like to, not everyone likes that. They're always gonna be the people who are gonna wait and see, but a lot of people are excited to see, frankly, how the sausage is made. They like wanna be there on the ground floor. Usually your first round, Round running a program is the smallest it'll ever be and being able to essentially offer a reduced price with the understanding that it's your first time running it is a really great way to get that practice. And this is also important because you're going to get real feedback from actual paying customers, and I think that matters. I think the feedback you get from people who haven't paid you is different. It's not that it's bad, but it's not the same exchange. So when you're doing a new program, that's what I like to do. You can also do a shorter version of the program, a smaller version of the program. You know, my tarot course started as like a four week in-person class. We had four sessions live in person. And I think it was a hundred dollars. Now I'm like, I cannot believe I charged only a hundred dollars for that fucking class, but I was I was new, right? And then I think we brought it online. I think we moved to six weeks and it was maybe like $150. <laughs> And then I finally kind of codified it and I recorded the videos and we ran it a couple times. And I think it was 300, 200 or $300, but it was completely scaled. So we could have any number of people in it, but I kind of worked my way up to having a price that felt appropriate that, you know, having an offer that I could support more people in. And before I kind of recorded it and made it all like pretty and fancy with like nice slides and like worksheets, I taught it live several times at a reduced rate and also also when you do things live you can get feedback really quickly and answer questions so that can be a really powerful way to test something as well also people tend to find a lot of value in that a lot of value in being able to interact with you live so if you're running a new program even if it's new the fact that people can ask questions or be on like a call with you and some other folks that's often really helpful to kind of mitigate the risk so that's my take on it which is essentially no don't don't do it with freebie clients um, unless again, unless you have a very specific thing you want to test that is very short, again, like I think like a one session method, you know, doing a program live and doing it at like a somewhat reduced rate gives you that opportunity to be responsive and flexible uh, without, yeah, you know, without not getting paid for your labor, frankly, because you should get paid, uh, full stop. Um, I think the key here is just to be honest with people. You know, there's, I saw some very weird feedback. Somebody like basically saying that this kind of method was like dishonest. And I was like, no, just tell people that that it's new. Just tell them like they don't fucking care that that's like such a weird assumption that people are going to be like uh, mad that like you're charging for something that doesn't exist. Like when you go to an in-person like class at a university, like it doesn't exist until you're there. Like it's such a weird objection. Um, Or like you go to like an exercise class, like there's no class until you get there. (laughs) Like, so um, I think just being upfront and being like, hey, this is my first time doing this program. As a result, we're offering it at this one time, you know, only reduced rate. And that's how you get your test. And that's how you get your test data. And here is the um, the tough love, which is that, you know, if you're ready to do this, some part of you knows. Um, And if you're ready to do this, then you 110% need to charge for it. You're not screw yourself out of getting paid. Um, I've done that to myself. I see my clients do it all the time. Um, it's really natural for us to feel like, again, this credentialism, this like imposter syndrome, we need to be at a certain level in order to charge and everything needs to be refined and really good. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Can you help people? Do you know how to help people? That that's the thing that matters. And then you're just, then you're just honest about it. Uh, when I, when we launched my membership, it was at the lowest rate it ever was. And we let everyone know we were like, hey, I was like, hey, this doesn't exist yet. I'm making it. I'm going to make it if you guys want it and you buy it. That, that's the deal. <laughs> and as a result, you're getting it to the lowest rate it will ever be. And you get to keep that rate as long as you stay a member. We still have members at that rate because it's a fucking great rate. Right. But I was like, there's no there there. There's nothing. There's no content. We'll have a coaching call next month. There's nothing. And like 50 people bought so just keeping in mind that like we often think that people need a certain level of professionalism to make an investment, and it's not true. So that is my take. Uh, test new programs on paying clients, but just let them know that it's new. Let them know that like as long as you have the experience or the knowledge to teach it, let them know that it's new, and that's fine. And then the people who do want to wait, because there will be those people, they can wait. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad we got to talk about these questions. We will not be here next week because I'm out of town. We'll be back the following week. And how Free Coaching Thursday works, in case you are new here, is on Wednesdays over in my stories here on Instagram, we post a little question box that says, what do you need help with? And Thursdays, usually around 1 p.m. Eastern time, I come here, I go live, I answer your questions. You can always check out the replay on my IGTV or on our podcast the following Tuesdays. And if you're new here, I really recommend going back and watching these old episodes or listening to the old episodes on the podcast. I have been doing this for a long time in various capacities. We've done our podcast for over four years. There are so many remarkable resources there. And it is of course, for free. So please go dive in there. And if you're thinking that this is actually awesome and you want to go deeper, and you want some more support, then get on the waitlist for the holistic business academy. That's our monthly membership site where we support folks who are starting and growing their holistic businesses to make more money and help more people in a way that is actually sustainable and supportive for them without constant posting. Like we talked about earlier, fuck that. Okay. (laughs) Business for real actual humans and Yeah, you can do that at the link in my bio or at holisticbusinessacademy.com forward slash waitlist. You are all welcome, everyone who is here live. And yes, definitely you can catch the replay and I will see you all not next week, but the following week. All right, bye for now.